Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Searcy podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Searcy campus, you can text the word Searcy to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Everybody had a good weekend, I hope, and um, enjoyed doing something as, as a family or enjoyed doing nothing. Um, how about those Razorbacks? Anybody watch the Hogs? Yeah, okay. Got some missing teeth, but, uh, you know, sometimes that's how it goes when you're playing basketball, I guess. Um, thank you again for being here. We are in a short series on a very hot topic right now called Deconstruction. And um, if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to just go online and find that and watch it. That way you'll kind of be caught up with where, with where, where we are. Um, and in case you weren't here, I mean, the message I'm going to preach today is, is in the middle. And the thing about the sermon in the middle of a series is um, if you weren't here for the beginning, then you feel kind of left out. And then it also doesn't have a conclusion yet because I'm not there. So it's just really uh, a lot of content. And that's what I'm going to give you this morning. But I do want to recap um, on deconstruction. We started by defining it. And it was simply this, it's, it's when you take apart and put into pieces things that you believe, um, things that are a core value. In, in our case, it's specifically about theology. It's taking your personal theology, your experiences that you've had in God, maybe growing up in different denominations, and now as an adult, you're taking that stuff apart and you're looking at it and going, do I still believe all of this? Now, when I say it like that, there's nothing wrong with that. And I told you last week, I'm not offended by deconstruction as long as it has healthy parameters. And so one of the things that we talked about was the difference between modern deconstruction and traditional discipleship. And we talked about the difference there is that um, the biggest difference was that in in, uh, traditional or historical um, discipleship, the Bible was always looked at as true and inerrant. And so um, now in modern deconstruction, it comes with an option that you can look at it and go, I don't know if that still has no error, and I don't know if that part is still relevant, and I don't know if that part is still, still true. And so that's a big one. And so I just talked about us being careful as we pull things apart and I had three examples of what deconstruction could look like. If you were here at the 930, you had a really good example. If you were here at the 11, one of mine fell apart because of the two guys who carried it out. It's all their fault. It just fell apart. But I had a Lego house here, just, just the front, just the facade of it. And the point was that it kind of looks like a house, but it's really not a house. And if you're not careful during deconstruction, you end up with something that kind of looks like Jesus, but it's not Jesus. And then my second example was a a Jenga game. And the principle there was, or or the point, was that one false move with a Jenga game and it all falls down. And so you have to be careful if you're playing Jenga with deconstruction because if you start to pull out just one item, one thing, the whole thing can collapse. For example... 
if you let yourself get to a place where you say Jesus Christ was not the Son of God, then nothing else can build off of that. And so everything else in Scripture has fallen apart because all of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus, and then all of the Gospels through the Acts, through the letters of the apostles on to John the Revelator is pointing back toward Jesus. So if you remove Jesus from the equation as the Son of God, then you're playing Jenga with your theology, with your personal walk. But then I ended by talking about it could look like a Rubik's Cube where it's intact, it's identifiable, but it's got shifting pieces. So it's okay for you to shift. It's okay for you to rethink. It's okay for you to grow and start to get a clear picture of what's going on. I said some days you get frustrated with it and you got to put it down. You got to let it rest. You got to let it marinate. And then some days, like last week during prayer and fasting, you can take it and pick it up and dedicate a lot of time to it and say, I really want to figure this out. But one of the big principles or takeaways from last week was that you want God to be bigger than your own mind. So if everything about God always makes sense to you, that would scare me to death. Because I want God to be bigger than. I want God to be larger than. I want God to be wiser than anything in my life. There needs to be mystery in our lives about God for him to be God. So we don't want to figure it all out, okay? So we want to spend our lives seeking and knocking and and asking. We want to do all of those things, yes. That's God's way of saying, come after me, no more. Believe more, come closer. But not all things are going to be revealed. It's part of our humanity. It's part of our spiritual condition. But there will be a day when all of it makes sense. There will be a day when we stand before the Lord and all of it is going to make sense. It's all going to add up. All of your experiences are going to be fully known and you're going to see the whole picture. But right now, we have to be okay with ambiguity. We got to be okay with it. So I want to start today's message and I want to give you some reasons why people are so caught up on deconstruction right now. Now, these have a little a little salsa on it, okay? They're a little spicy. Um, be okay with that. I'm just trying to be as real as I possibly can. Um, and I'm taking this from just not from my own mind, but just from all kinds of things that people have said and written about over the past couple of years especially. But I've boiled it down to just a few things. But I want to talk these out for a second. There are a lot of reasons why someone would find themselves, even even though they've been in church their whole life, maybe you've been attached to one denomination your whole life, and you go, this is the way I believe, and and all that's fine. But the reason we tend to find ourselves in these places of searching is because of some of these things I'm going to go over with you right, right now. The first one would be moral conflicts with Scripture. And I told you last week, if it was just for a moral issue, I would get it. I would understand. Because we all have things in us, desires in us that we we want to go after because they are, as Scripture would call them, part of our flesh. 
It's a desire of our flesh to have certain things, to live out our lives in certain ways. But then we get into Scripture and either the apostles of old or the old law or New Testament teaching um, tells us, hey, steer your life away from that. So some of these are, I'm just going to give you two examples in each category. A moral conflict of Scripture would be, I don't agree that I cannot have sex until I'm married. I don't agree with that. And I have a moral issue with it. It's a conflict that I have with Scripture, and so I'm struggling with it. So I'm going to deconstruct in an attempt to reconcile that in myself. I'm going to study out scripture. I'm going to study out different religious systems. I'm going to study out the history of that law. I'm I'm going to study this out and try to make it make sense in my life where I can follow Jesus and still not agree with this particular teaching. It would be, I don't agree that I should refrain from drunkenness. That's a moral conflict with scripture. Scripture's clear. Don't get drunk. Crazy things happen when you get drunk. You say things you don't mean when you get drunk. You do things you shouldn't do when you get drunk. So don't do it. But we're like, you know, hey, I have have a problem with that. It's how I unwind. It's how we entertain It's how this or that, it's twice a year, it's four times a year, it's every Friday, whatever. And you got a problem with it. So you try to deconstruct to say, how can I follow Jesus, God be okay with me, and this not, um, you know, me not have to, to go with this. A cultural conflict with Scripture, and these are both hot right right now, When you say, I don't agree that biblical marriage is between a man and a woman. It's a cultural conflict. You might say, I don't agree scripture is sacred. I don't believe it's without error. I believe it can be a conversation of what is true and what is not true. So I'm deconstructing because I believe it to not be inerrant. I believe it to be historical. And because of that, I'm able to take it through the angle of history and go, does that history still speak to me 2,000 years later or 4,000 years later or 6,000 years later? It's a cultural conflict. Third, and this is a strong one. I'm going to talk about this more today. We have an experiential conflict, meaning something has happened in your life that you think doesn't line up with God's character, and now because of that, you feel like you have to start tearing things apart and reordering them in your life to make them make sense to you. An experiential conflict, and again, these are hard. I was molested. Why would God allow that? That's an experiential conflict. I lost my spouse to cancer. Why would God allow that? 
We love each other, and yet we struggle to have children. Why would God allow that? experiential conflicts. And so now we're taking some of the biggest issues in our life and we're aiming them toward the biggest individual, if I can use that word, in our lives, which is God. And we're saying, I got something big and you're big. Can you two not get together and resolve this? And when there is no resolve, what tends to happen is we let our faith suffer from it. We experienced pain. We were a victim. We caught the shrapnel from somebody else's choice. And now we're dealing with that on a faith level. And we're saying, God, this is your doing. And so when we think about uh, experiential conflict, we We end up going to Scripture and saying, who else struggled with this and and what happened there? And and we want to, to dig in it and understand it. And again, all of that is fine. But when you start to pull it apart and redefine character in God that is against Scripture, it gets dangerous. The fourth thing would be spiritual abuse in the church. It's caused a lot of people right now to deconstruct. And I used that word exvangelical last week because it's such a hot topic. And a lot of it, I'm going out on a limb here, but I'm going to say 25 to 33% of it is because of spiritual abuse issues. People are saying, I don't, I don't, I can't value the church anymore because I had a pastor who misused spiritual authority. And now I just don't value the church. It's better off for me to stay isolated, read the Bible by myself, do whatever. And now the local church, the embodiment of a group of people gathered together, doing stuff collectively in the name of Jesus, I struggle to find value in. Okay? So we struggle with spiritual abuse. Here's a big one under spiritual abuse is you grew up in a church that taught perfectionistic theology, meaning you better be perfect because the Lord's only coming for those perfect people without spot, without wrinkle. You know, we wore that verse out. You better be blameless. You better do it right. You better, you better fix it. You better, and there's, there's balance to that statement. If I'm on a track growth, a developmental sanctification route with God, I'm good. It's when I'm trying to do my own journey and call God over to it to bless it and favor it and honor it is where the danger is. And that's very poor theology to teach that. But if you grew up in perfectionistic theology, you can find yourself in your 40s, 50s, and 60s and scared to death to die. You're scared to death that that you're going to be left if the rapture happens. You're scared that there's something in your life that you haven't seen and that God hasn't revealed to you. And because of that hidden thing that lies under all these layers in your spirit, it's going to cause you to get before God and be judged and hear those words, depart from me, I never knew you. 
And so here you are, you're following Jesus just on one premise, and that's because you're scared to death of him. People are deconstructing over it. They're going, I'm tired of being fearful. I'm tired of my faith journey being one that is just full of fear, and I'm scared all the time. These are reasons why people are doing this. But remember what we talked about last week's goal was this, to know more about God with believing less. Our goal should be, I want to know you more. And in that knowing, my faith gets stronger, not weaker. I don't need to believe less because I'm following Jesus. I need to be filling my heart with encouragement. My spirit should be full, pressed down, shaken together, running over with all the good things and the promises and the favor of God. But don't let deconstruction lead you astray. You want to search for God? Search. You want to ask God for big things? Ask. You want to knock on the biggest doors of faith? Knock. But don't let a deconstruction process lead you astray where you start to question if God's word is God's word, if Jesus is the son of God, if you're really forgiven, if there's a heaven and hell, what all of these things that are traps when it comes to this topic. Don't let deconstruction lead you astray. Let me give you some scripture. John 16 and 13, the New King James here I'm going to read from. It says, however, when he, the spirit of truth, and this is important, a little prepositional phrase there is important, of truth. Because why does he feel the need to put this in here? Because his audience is struggling with it. He's saying, listen, if you don't want to believe everything that I'm saying, it's okay. If if you don't want to believe every single story, it's okay. But there is going to come a spirit of truth, and he will guide you into what? It's up here for you. Let's try that again. He will guide you into what? All truth. He's saying you're going to know by the spirit of God what is true and what is not true. Build your heart on that. The spirit of truth is going to guide you into all truth. Do not get led astray by following culture. Culture is strong. Culture is strong. Um, I I have to be careful here with, with, with my time or I'll keep you all afternoon, but this is a sermon all in and of itself when we talk about culture because culture is slippery. And you look at Christianity, and you look at it through the course of history, and you look at how some followed culture and some followed Christ, and where the two ended up. Exodus 23, this first warning comes to us early. Okay, If you don't know where that's at chronologically, it's the second book. Okay, So if you're looking for that around 2nd and 3rd John, go the other direction. Okay? Exodus 23 and verse 2 says, Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Don't follow the group. Be careful with what everybody's saying is right. Be careful what's popular. Be careful what people are saying that 
appeals to your ears. Be careful. It says, don't follow that crowd in doing wrong. And the Bible reveals years of history with this same circular problem. Listen, Israel's biggest problem was not necessarily a faith issue. We always talk about them complaining and whining. The church has always had complaining and whining. You know what their issue was? They wanted to be like every other nation around them. We want a king like they have. We just want, you know, a physical leader. You know, you hover above us and fire, and nobody else can do that, but we'd really like a king. We know you've fed us, and our clothes haven't worn out, and we're all healthy and fat and sassy from all the birds and bread. But we'd rather have a king like them. Traditionally, we've been bricklaying for 400 years, but we'd like to return to being warriors like them. Maybe we would like our God to have an image. It looks like something. Maybe a golden calf. Because that makes sense, and that's honoring. We'll make a gold calf, and we'll worship it because it's like something they would do. We want to be like them. This is something that has always been circular. It's like we Christians and Christianity cannot feel comfortable in just its true blue colors and calling. We want to wrap it in culture. And I get it because we, we live in this era we live in this world. Things are going to be famous for a while. Things are going to have a hot topic for a while and then fizzle and something else is going to rise. It's part of our existence to do that. So I'm, I'm not saying culture is wrong. What I'm saying is it's wrong to be led by it. You can be in this world. You have to be without embracing all of it. You get led astray by reading too much into circumstances. One of the reasons why people are deconstructing so much, and I mentioned it a while ago about experiential things, is because they look at their circumstance and they then look at God and say, I've got a conflict, so you must not be God and the Bible must not be true and the local church must be worthless because this is the worst pain I've ever experienced. I'm, I'm at an all-time low in my faith, and since you won't show up tangibly and talk to me or bring an angel or do something supernatural in my life, then I'm left with my own thoughts, and those must dictate who you are. It's a dangerous place. We read too much into our circumstances. Now, I've, I've taught you this little piece before, but I could not leave it out. I had to take it and plug it in because it makes so much sense in this. I've told you when it comes to experiences, when it comes to you experiencing things and you letting those experiences dictate your faith, that what you're really looking at are two big continuums, and they are systems and sovereignty. And God uses both of these. 
Now, a system is something that is ever in motion because God told it to be. All right? I'm going to give you some examples. The universe is a system. It is planets that are orbiting, causing gravity. The closest star is four light years away from us, even though on a clear night you feel like you can reach out and grab it with, with your fingers. But it is a system. This is not something that's on the tip of God's finger and he's got to spin this plate and then run over here and spin another one and spin another one and spin another one. And, and he, he's, he's, not, he's not grabbing, even though some of you would like to think this way, he's not got the earth and he's doing this around the sun all the time he's, and, he's, and he's moving clouds in. And he's like, oh, you know, he's, 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 like, he's like this puppet mask. Come on, are y'all with me or am I just the only one? No. He put all that in motion, and it works every day, all day, because he told it to. The sun will set tonight. It will come up tomorrow. It will, no matter how much you pray, unless your name is Joshua, the sun is going to continue to come up and set and come up and set and come up and set because it is a system. The weather is a system. We experience climate change and solar energy and the shifting of wind because God told it to do so a long time ago. That's not something he's fabricating. Biology, our DNA, our immunity, our procreation, systems, Ordained by God to work, therefore they work. The cycle of life, unfortunately, is a system. You live, and then there is a door of death that you must go through, every single one of you. The Bible says that it's appointed unto man once to die, and it's going to happen. Because it's a system. God put it in place. And listen, I'm not trying to get painful here, but there's a big underlying truth to this. You never have enough time with people you love. Never. We can always get mad over death. Always. Because whether you get two days with a newborn or you get a hundred years with your parents, it's still not enough time. We still go, man, why did this happen? I was not ready. You're never going to be ready. Because it's proof that you love them. You don't want any, anyone to be absent. You don't want to lose them. You still want to hear their voice and hold their hand and embrace them and hear their infectious laugh down the hallway. But it will happen. Why? It's a system. But again... And I'm not trying to be comical, but God is not over that going now. It's your turn and 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 your time. And thousands of people are just falling over every day. No, it's a system. It's something he put in place and it works. Life and death are determined already for you. You have an appointment and it will happen. Physical science is a system. Atoms hold everything in place. How? I don't know. But it works. Why? Because God told it to. Right? He told it to. And it does it. It's a system. On the flip side of that, and wait, there's a, there's, there's a big truth. 
You and I cannot ever control a system. It's in place. God put it there, and it's going to work. And then on the other end is sovereignty. Now, God's sovereignty can at any point interrupt a system. Why? Because he's God. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He can be present in anybody's life at any given time. He's omniscient. He knows everything about it, the full details of your life, the, the number of hair on your head, the circumstances, the deepest layers and recesses of your life. He knows in full there is no mystery in him. Okay? He gets it. It's sovereignty. And God's sovereignty can interrupt a system at any point. Watch this. Here's some examples. For God so loved the world that he gave. And he interrupted a system and gave sovereignty. Peace, be still. And he gave sovereignty in the middle of a system. Take up your bed and walk. And sovereignty interrupted a system. Lazarus, come forth. And a system was interrupted by sovereignty. Mary, you are with child. And a biological system was interrupted with sovereignty. Now, these don't happen all the time, or we'd call them Monday. But we call them miracles. We call them miracles when a sovereign move or act, an unexplainable action of an amazing God swings into our system and changes something. And it doesn't happen all of the time. Can we ask God for them? Sure you can. But they can't be expected or anticipated to happen. One of the biggest mysteries that I read in scriptures, Jesus shows up at this place, the pool, and, and the, it's covered porches full of sick people. As far as we know, one person goes home. But yet you turn just a few pages and it says, they brought all the sick and he healed them. Sovereignty. Systems. And here's a big truth. You cannot control sovereignty. So what we are praying for here over our experiences that threaten your level of faith is to accept the systems that God designed for our lives and pray that we have access to his sovereignty. We are accepting the system. We are accepting there is death and there is sickness and people make poor choices. We accept those things. That our biology breaks down. We accept aging. We accept all of those things that we hate dealing with. But in the same breath, we're saying, God, I want access to your sovereignty. I want access to your spirit. I want access to change. I want a transformational work in my own life. I'm going to ask, and I'm going to seek, and I'm going to knock without trying to tear down who you are or your word. Oh, let, me, let me move on because I'm so far behind. Let me move on. Apparently, some of this is going to be next week. Third, you get led astray when you follow your feelings. I'm going to end with this. So, Zach, if you're listening, come on. You get led astray when you follow your feelings. You want to hear a big truth? Feelings are temporary. All of them. 
As a matter of fact, neurologists tell us that intense emotions only affect the brain for approximately 90 seconds. This means you can go to Disney World, you can be elated. This is awesome. You're overcome. Uh, 90 seconds later, you're ready to punch Mickey Mouse right in the nose because you really paid $9 for that hot dog. You can get exactly what you wanted for Christmas. I would be, I mean, some of you right now have already forgotten what you got for Christmas. Why? Because it's fleeting. You can be so mad at someone, but it goes away. And here's the, here's the unfortunate, because there are people in prison right now for their entire lives because they did something while in an emotional state that would have passed if they'd just given it space. Let it give it, give it a little breath. Walk away. Think about it tomorrow. Sleep on it. All those other cliches we can throw at it. Our feelings lie to us. Sometimes people leave cities, they leave a job, they leave a terrible legacy, all in the name of being led by their feelings. And sometimes people will leave a church. They'll leave God. They'll walk away from faith over a feeling. You're mad at me, you hate me, you don't love me enough to intervene in my life. And I don't, I don't know really, I'm gonna shut this so I'll give you a little hope. I, I don't know really where, that, where this teaching came from. I really don't, don't know. I, it just, I think it may come from our own nature. I don't know that it ever, it ever evolved around a pulpit. Because Scripture does nothing but teach us the opposite. It tells us clearly. And there's going to be some things happen that take your breath away. But I'm going to be there. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. David, who God clearly loved, and he spoke over and prophesied over his house and let the genealogy of Jesus come from his throne. David himself said, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know what that tells me? He had some rough days, some hard times. And you do too. And I do too. But we can't take that word of God and cast it to the wind. You can't label God based upon your experience of life. It's all the more reasons to get your hands down in the soil of good word and apply them to your life rather than running or shaking your fist at the heavens. And often it can happen with all of these things that I, I've, I've mentioned to you, and it's very subtle. It's not like a light switch. You get up one day and you think church is less important. 
So you go three Sundays a month. Then you go two. Then you go one. Then you go once a quarter. Then you come at Christmas and Easter. It's just, it's subtle. You start off, man, you're hungry for that one-year Bible, right? And then you hit Leviticus, where all one-year Bible readers go to die. (laughs) Nobody reads Leviticus. Y'all skip it and you just say you do. You check it off because it's satisfying. Okay, I'm done with Leviticus. Listen, the Lord loves you. If you're here today and you've had a hard time, if you're here today, you got a moral conflict, a cultural conflict, an experiential conflict, a spiritual conflict, He still loves you. And when we understand that the entire word of God is about him coming for us and loving us and never giving up on us, the easier it is for us to get the full story of our own lives. I want to go on because I don't have another service and I normally preach twice and it's just in me, you know. So if I took both those 34 minutes and added them together, that's 68 minutes I could preach. I'm kidding. God, I love you. Thank you for the people of God today. Lord, I pray for every person in the room today that is in the middle of an experience or a conflict of any kind that threatens to cancel out their faith. God, you told us that the spirit of truth would come. And I pray that above my voice, above this teaching today, would be the spirit of truth. Into every heart, into every life that's here today. And every person who's wearing a question mark across their soul today. Why me? Why did this happen? Let the spirit of truth come. God, you teach us to ask and seek and knock, and we do it today, Lord. We ask of you. We seek you. We knock on the doors. Feed our soul. Feed our faith in a way that only you can. Be with us. Lord, if there are some right now who are going through stages of grief, be with them. Some right now, God, involved in very tumultuous marriages, be with them. The spirit of truth be in every home today. And I give you thanks for it, God. In your name we pray.